everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Full Court Press. I'm here with uh, I'm here with voice design extraordinaire and occasional sports enjoyer Josh. What's up, Josh? Hey, Nathan. How's it going? Thanks for having me on. Going well. Going well. So uh, yeah, we'll dive right in. We'll talk a little bit about the women's team here first, finishing up finishing up two series against Big East opponents, and then we'll shift gears and talk a little bit about the men. So. Uh, starting off with the women, they are playing DePaul at home at the time of this recording. They're down big, having committed 21 turnovers in just over a half of basketball. Um, Josh, what are your thoughts on that so far? Yeah, my initial impression is that it's it's been a recurring issue for this team. I had the fortunate opportunity to cover uh, our women's team in their earlier meeting against DePaul, and while they showed great uh, potential, especially with their young freshman guards, the turnover issue is has been one that uh, is persistent, and uh, it really it really is detrimental. Allows other teams to get out in transition and get easy buckets. And as we can see with the current game, the Hoyas have dug themselves a, a pretty deep hole, and the turnovers are uh, a key reason for that. Yeah, and that's what DePaul does. They like to speed up the game. They like to force turnovers, get out and run in transition. We saw in the first game that, you know, they're not the greatest shooting team in the world. They're not the greatest creating team in the world. But when they can run and play a little bit more, just a little bit more disciplined than the opposition, that's that's pretty tough to stop. And I think over these last two games, we're kind of seeing, we're seeing the freshman guards Jasmine Ott, Kelsey Ransom, Jasmine Harmon. We're seeing them kind of come back to earth a little bit and um, show some show some understandable, but still there. They're, they're starting to regress a little bit to the mean. Uh, and this is this was kind of the fear going into the season that it'd be tough to compete at at this level with great teams like UConn, DePaul, and Marquette in this conference. And it certainly doesn't help that this team has, has really struggled to just play together you know you had a, a long long stretch at the beginning of the season where they waited to play their first game they're only in their fourth game and you know this is their second against an extremely tough top team in the big east number 19 to paul so simply put they haven't played a lot and with a young group it makes it really hard for them to gel and um i think that's a trend you can see across college basketball this season and it's, it's not limited to, to Georgetown. Yeah. And obviously, you know, talent trumps all as we're seeing, as we're seeing with UConn on the women's side, but I, I, I would agree with your point that when the, t- when there's a baseline level of talent there, then teams with continuity are, are going to have a decided advantage in such an unpredictable season like this one. And on top of that, this particular Hoyas group has had a lot of turnover from the previous year. So uh, Coach Howard has uh, a lot on his hands, and you know, especially um, with the lack of of games played and practices at the beginning of the year, it's to be expected that this team is going to take some time to reach their potential. And it was a team that Coach Howard knows. Um, has a lot of opportunity to grow and grow into the next coming seasons. Speaking of, of turnover, the women are welcoming Milan Bolden Morris from Boston College. Uh, from what we can tell, she, 
she plays guard and from what we could tell she is um she's not shy to pull the trigger she she had 14 threes in the last game against butler converting three of those um the only the only shots from distance that went down in that game but you're kind of seeing that this team you know really struggles to create and they have to hope that you know ott ransom Harmon will be able to minimize some of their freshman mistakes while making explosive plays to the basket in order to try and get anything going. And then, you know, once teams have kind of figured that out and figured out how to stop that or figured out how to force them to make mistakes, thing, things kind of things kind of start to crumble for this team. That That's that's my diagnosis at this point. Yeah, I think I, I agree with your assessment. And this Georgetown team has a lot of potential uh, with the, the young perimeter, like we've mentioned, um, can be a, a really great shooting team, but um, has really struggled from the three-point line. And uh, it's going to be tough for, for the Hoyas to keep up with some of the teams that they're, that they're playing. They've played some quality opponents, especially when they're getting out in transition and uh, the Hoyas are not doing the same. And um, I, per- I personally would like to see a little bit more out of some of the more – experienced players who may not necessarily be they may not necessarily be returners um but you would like to see a little bit more out of grace and bennett you'd like to see a little bit more out of jillian archer taylor bauer uh especially in the scoring department they're they've brought great energy they've crashed the boards but um you know at some point somebody's got to put the ball in the basket right yeah i definitely agree with you there um bauer showed flashes of uh, uh of brilliance in their in their season opener when I, uh, uh, when I was able to cover, but it needs to be consistent for the Hoyas to stand a chance against some of the tough opponents in the big East. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, it'll definitely be an uphill climb for them. Um, Some other teams though, in the big East have stumbled St. John's and Xavier haven't, haven't started out well Uh, one and four in the conference and one and three in conference respectively. So those might represent opportunities for Georgetown to pick up some crucial wins within the Big East. But ultimately, they'll probably still look at this year as kind of a rebuilding year for women's basketball. And um, it would wasn't it a little bit strange when you when you were able to talk to Coach Howard, he kind of had to focus on the future instead of what you would get from what you would typically get about like focusing only on this team. Yeah, I did find that a little strange. Um, I heard a comment from him when uh, when we were chatting after the the first DePaul game um, that had something to do uh, with how he is looking towards uh, the future uh, with some of his freshman guards. And uh, usually here, Coach, who is much more uh, focused on the present and with the present games, but this is a very strange year. And so I, I, I wouldn't fault Coach Howard. This team was pick to really struggle in the big East and they really have hardly had a chance to get going. So I, I don't really fault him for it, but it, it was a little strange. Yeah. And coming up, the schedule doesn't get much easier um, on the 20th, which I believe is, I believe that would be next Wednesday. Uh, they'll, they'll travel to Marquette with a 3 PM tip. That that's a tough game. Marquette's third in the big East right now. And then uh, a week from now at two o'clock, they will be on the road at UConn, number four UConn, who obviously have have been 
you know, perennial powerhouse in women's basketball. They have, um, they have the number one freshman in the country, Paige Bukers. They're a force to be reckoned with. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, how our younger players step up to that challenge and should they, should they experience some difficulties, which they will, it'll be, it'll also be interesting to see how some of the older players who have, who have that high major experience uh, can be able to, can be able to mask some of those mistakes or help some of the, uh, help some of the younger players through their mistakes. Yes, yeah, certainly. I'm, I'm excited to see how Yasmin Ott stacks up against both of those teams. Um, she's played uh, quite well in, in several of the Hoyas games, but turnovers uh, overall for the team, like we've mentioned, uh, have been an issue. All right. Switching gears a little bit to uh, talk about the men's side. The men are on pause due to a positive COVID-19 test with a tier one individual. Hoping everybody's all right. As far as, as far as I know, nobody's in critical condition or anything like that. But, uh, but they are on pause right now. They were scheduled to play uh, DePaul last Wednesday, Providence this uh, Providence today on January 16th, and I think Marquette on the 20th. But, um, but those games have obviously been postponed. Josh, what's your assessment of this team so far? Well, overall, I think they've showed that they can compete with you know the the best teams in the Big East when they when they choose to and when they're not turning the ball over. Um, they have struggled a lot with with team defense, gotten into foul trouble, especially in the front court, um, and I think that has contributed to some of the close losses. But even with even with the the group that that we currently have, also a group that hasn't had a lot of time to play together. Um, a lot of new pieces. I think the, this men's team has showed that they're capable of competing with, you know, whoever shows up. And they've played a very, very competitive schedule uh, early on in the season with West Virginia playing Villanova. And, and this year's Big East is no pushover either. Right. I, I think the Big East is one of those conferences where uh, nothing's a cupcake game. And the Hoyas have proven that they've They've been, uh, they've been, they've been right there with every team, and uh, it must be frustrating to kind of, to, to kind of see how they've been right there. They've had the opportunity, and and they they just haven't been able to close. They haven't been able to finish the game. We saw that against, um, we saw it against Villanova, West Virginia, Marquette, and Butler, and that was kind of the most out there. And going off of the point of turnovers. Looking on looking on Ken Palm's resources, there are nine power conference teams or nine like major conference teams that have a higher turnover rate on offense than Georgetown. And so uh, for the purposes of this exercise, I'm considering power conferences or major conferences to be the power five, uh, Big East the American and the Atlantic 10. I think that's a pretty, that's pretty fair in terms of level of competition. Right. So yeah, um, it, it's a, it's a stark statistic in it. And it, I think can be attributed to uh, youth in the backcourt um, similar, similar to our, our women's team at the same time, they've had a total of 11 games and I'm personally just confused as to why we haven't seen more growth. Yeah. I think, it's a it's a weird question for me just because like 
you know, we're not there in practice. We don't see what goes down. But then the game comes around and it seems like everybody is wondering why why players that won't be around next year, like Chudier Bile, are getting are getting a lion's share of the minutes off the bench versus, you know, a freshman like Jamari Sibley or or a TJ Berger or a Kobe Clark. These guys are kind of having to take a little bit of a backseat, even though even though they might be crucial to next year's team. And so so what do you kind of make of that? And what have you seen from other coaches in the past in similar situations? Well, my initial reaction is that that power forward position and uh, even the center position um, is one where this team has struggled to play defense without fouling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Coach Ewing has needed to put in Chudier Belay for large shares of minutes at, at times. He's a capable rebounder and uh, provides provide size at a, at times in the game where either uh, Kudus Wahab is on the bench or, uh, or Tim or, or if Tim, Timothy Gohefe is also in, in foul trouble. And um, he's proven that he's a strong rebounder. And so I think that's why Coach Ewing continues to go with him. Um, as far as the second half of your question um, with what other teams have done, I think – I think other teams have probably had a, a wider rotation, but I don't think it's it's traditional Georgetown to to have such a, a wide rotation. Coach Ewing at this point in the season is looking to go with a group that he feels is consistent, that has gelled together. And I understand that there's several players that will be leaving next year, especially notable Javon Blair and Jamarco Pickett. So I, I, I can see the argument for for giving uh, someone like TJ Berger or Jamari Sibley more minutes, but you know, they're, they're not playing a cupcake schedule here. And so um, coach doing is looking to go with the group that he trusts, trust to follow the game plan and, and not make mistakes. I'm looking at the box score of their last game against Syracuse and, and five turnovers from Javon Blair is, is likely the, the difference in the game. Yeah, and so right. the team is going to have to cut back on, on these sorts of mistakes in order to close out games. And obviously that's offset by 10 assists, which is, you know, it's great coming from a senior leader, but it's a lot of turnovers. And I, I think, I think one of the really troubling things in the turnover department is that not only do they turn the ball over 21.7% of their possessions on offense, defensively, they only force 13 points turnovers on 13.7% of the opponent's possessions. And there is only one power, one major conference team in the country that is worse than them in that department. And that's Notre Dame. And so, you know, when you're, when you're making a lot of mistakes and you're not forcing any, that's a recipe for disaster. Right. And another, another really tough thing is, having Dante Harris thrown into the fire so early, having to play, you know, a freshman point guard 38 minutes a game with a turnover rate of 27% for him. And, you know, he's going to take his lumps. He's a freshman, he's a freshman and you can't really hold it against him. But at the same time, like if this team had been able to find a, a point guard, like a Terrell Allen or something like that, you would have to think that, 
you would have to think that the results would be a little bit different. And another thing that, that you bring up, Nathan, is that this team isn't forcing a lot of turnovers on the defensive end. And for a team that thrives in the fast break and loves to get out and run, it's really difficult to do that when every, every bucket is you know through the net. Uh, it, it's difficult to get out and run. The, the break out of, out of a made basket is key. You know, this team only had 12 fast break points against Syracuse. Much of that could be attributed to zone defense. Of course, Jim Beheim's classic, classic zone, but 12 points is, is going to be difficult for a team who, whose main goal on offense is to get easy buckets. And there just haven't been enough of those. Right. And watching some of the games, I, I think that the first half advantages that they built were more so based on the fast break because um, because those other teams had missed shots early. Like I, I remember Villanova missing a ton of shots early, Marquette missing shots early. And so um, it, it isn't I don't think that those first half leads are a result of any great sort of defensive execution. I think it's it's more so being fortunate to be able to run the fast break. And then, you know, once once things change and once shots regress to the mean, they suffer. One more thing also with this men's team that's a little bit disturbing to note is that I and I, I'm not sure if you've noticed this based on the eye test, but I think I have. It's that they don't get to the line very often, right? And um you know, somebody, somebody's going to call me obsessed and all, all that stuff, but uh, having at least, you know, a McClung and a Kinjo, those guys can, those guys might not shoot the highest percentage, but they can get to the line, they can slash, and um, they can put the ball on the floor, which is something that a lot of, a lot of people on this team tend to struggle with. Uh, there's only four major conference teams that have a worse free throw rate offensively than Georgetown, Penn State, DePaul, Iowa State, and LaSalle, when they can't get to the line either and get those easy buckets that, you know, that's a killer for your, for your offense. So we saw that a little bit when they traveled to Seton Hall and had the, you know, horrific start offensively. So getting to the lane is, is important for the whole offense. It helps spread the floor, give, give our team open threes, and uh, allows the, the bigs to to collapse the defense, just having that, those multiple areas of threat is, is really important for an offense. And so not being able to get fouled and get into the lane um, doesn't put enough pressure on, on defenses. And so when this team is shooting a lot of threes, which is, you know, excellent when you're making them, but um, I wouldn't describe this team as anything exceptional from the three point line. So, you know, that dribble drive and, getting the ball into the low block um, are really important for this team's offense. And uh, a huge part of that comes from getting out in the fast break. And as we mentioned, that has been a challenge. Yeah. And just to add on to your point about getting into the block, I think really the only way this team wins is if Kudus Wahab dominates inside, is able to get to the line, is able to convert on, um, on his bunnies. And then um, you surround that with guys that you like to catch and shoot, right? You, you like to, you kind of like to see Blair 
Pickett, Donald Carey. You like to see them be catch and shoot type guys, but I think I think other co- teams within the conference have noticed that, and so you start to see a lot of a lot of teams front cue early and try and get him in foul trouble so that so that he doesn't bother them throughout the rest of the game. And uh, and really, I think I think that's the only route that Georgetown really has to to be able to come out of these tough games with a win. For sure. And, and we've seen some potential on the defensive end. And, you know, when we look to the, the second Seton Hall game, actually, excuse me, the first Seton Hall game, Hugh had nine blocks. That's huge for, for a defense, but it only helps if he's on the court. So that, that defensive presence is going to help fast break and transition offense tremendously, but they have to play good team defense on the other end. And it starts on the defensive end. It starts with communication. It starts with a, you know, solid rotations and without it, other teams are going to get good looks and then there aren't going to be defensive rebounds to lead to easy buckets. So with a team that loves to get out and run those nine blocks and a a huge game is extremely important. And so I feel like that's been, been missing over the last several games and we've seen, seen it in kind of a streaky way. Yeah, and just speaking on just speaking on the team defense, I do think it has improved this season. It's obviously it's not where you would want it to be, but their defensive efficiency rating via Ken Palm is the best that it's been in the Ewing era at 97.8. So the defense has been slightly better, but the lack of a go-to guy in crunch time situations has really sunk this offense and that's something that that you has talked about a lot too is that you know I don't have a guy that you could throw the ball to and go get me a bucket you know Blair is productive over the course of a game but his efficiency leaves you wanting a little bit more and you would still prefer him to be the catch and shoot guy rather than putting the ball on the floor and being you know a lead guard and then you have Pickett I think enough people have talked about Jamar have talked about Jamarco Pickett in terms of leadership ability, in terms of being a go-to guy. I think enough enough people have expanded on that, so I won't really get into it. I will say though that next year I expect Donald Carey to be a really really important graduate uh, graduate player for this team. He's his true shooting is above sixty percent. He's shooting forty three percent from three this season. He's going to be really big to go get a bucket when the freshman class kind of has its lumps and and can't get anything going, which will definitely happen over the course of a very long season. And so I I think I think Donald Carey is going to be a huge player coming down the stretch and into next season. Yeah, he's been a very consistent piece for this offense and consistency has been something that is somewhat lacking for for this team on the offensive end. Pickett especially has had games where he's absolutely dominant, the strong senior leader that the team needs. And then at other times he'll be in foul trouble and not shooting where he's lethal in the catch and shoot. So this team loses a whole lot of size when he's not on the floor. And uh, it's tough, you know, when the team defense is not rotating over well, it puts your front court, Pickett, Belay, Eagle Hefe, Wahab, all in situations where they're either fouling to avoid an easy bucket or rotating over late and going for blocks instead of being uh, set and ahead of their defender. Mm-hmm. So that's been a challenge. And even though it, it's obviously much better than last year, it will continue to be a challenge 
when uh, other teams are getting to the lane too easy. Right. Uh, looking ahead, their next scheduled game is on January 26th against Xavier. Xavier's been on a roll. They've they've had they they started the season very impressively and done pretty well for themselves, better than I thought they would in Big East play. And then um, at the end of the month, on the 30th, they have a home game against Providence, which Providence is always a solid team, as long as Ed Cooley's been there. Um, those, will, those will be two pretty difficult games. I think that the keys to those games will be, will be to stop their primary playmakers. And on Xavier, that would be Paul Scruggs and Zach Fremantle. Providence would be David Duke and Nate Watson. If they can find a way to limit those guys, they might have a fighting chance in those games. But uh, either way, it'll be tough. And certainly adding to the challenge will be the fact that this team uh, will not have practiced or played together in a, at least a, a couple of weeks. That's challenging for any group. It's challenging given the COVID circumstances, and you just hope that the team is able to contain the outbreak of the virus that they've had in whatever personnel that has been affected. And after those games, the team faces back-to-back games against Creighton. And I, I'm really excited to see whether they'll be able to rise to the challenge against one of the nation's top teams. That'll be really tough. I think Creighton, Creighton loves to run, but they actually, you know, but they actually get to, and um, they just rain hell from deep. And, you know, it's, it's very hard to run with them for 40 minutes to keep up with their, with their pace and their shot making ability. But yeah, going back to what you said about uh, containing COVID, you know, both teams, both teams, men's and women's have faced, have faced outbreaks. They've had a ton of turnover and to be able to get to this point with no, uh, with no serious pandemic consequences, as far as we know, that's it. It sounds cheesy, I know, but that's that's a win in and of itself, really. And so, hats off to all the players and coaches and personnel that are that are taking the precautions necessary to be able to play out this season. Obviously, hats off to the frontline workers who are out there saving lives every day. Hopefully, we can get back to a state where going to the games and being able to watch. Feel, feels like the safe thing to do. Exactly. And, and both teams have showed tremendous discipline um, in following all the COVID protocols. This virus is, uh, is so unpredictable and you just have to think as a fan, uh, as an observer of both teams, that uh, it's, a, it's a, an accomplishment to make it to this point. And uh, you just hope to see both of these teams grow. It, it, it's been difficult across college basketball uh, for teams that don't have returners or haven't played together due to COVID, it's clear that those teams are justly or unjustly kind of a step behind the others. And when the men's team gets back, they face some stiff competition and it's a steep learning curve for this team as they move ahead. But, you know, they have a lot of potential, a lot of great young guys. I'm excited to continue to see Kudus Wahab's growth. And the Big East is a power conference. There's never an off night for the for this Hoyas team, which is at times a great thing f- for us as fans to be able to watch how they stack up against the nation's top competition. But it's it's tough for them. You know, there's ne- there's never an off night, and when you're not practicing or playing, it's a challenge. Yeah, and I, I just want to say that um, before before we close this out, I, I just want to say that the Big East is a power conference, man. Like at, at this point in 
in basketball, like the Big East has to be considered a power conference. And it would be, it, it doesn't make sense to throw the Pac-12 in the, in the like power five and then not consider the Big East, which has, you know, top, te- top 10 teams, two top 10 teams, three top 25 teams to not consider the Big East that at that level, I think that's, I think that's just wrong. So uh, yeah, on that note, thanks for joining me today, Josh, to uh, to talk about Georgetown basketball. It's definitely been a struggle this season, but hey, we're still here. And if there's going to be a season where uh, where they're going to struggle, I'm okay with it being this one. So uh, yeah, thanks for hopping on today, Josh. Thanks, Nathan, for having me. <laughs>